Where's Wally? That was, was published in the U.S. and Canada as, maybe you know it this way, Where's Waldo? It was a British series of children's puzzle books created by English illustrator Martin Hanford. And the books consisted of a series of detailed double-paged spreads illustrating dozens and dozens of people doing different and silly activities um, at a certain location. And the readers are challenged to be able to find what we would know as Waldo, where's Waldo, in this hidden group. And Waldo had a specific look about him. He had a, a red and white striped hat and a red and white striped uh, shirt. And maybe some of you remember that. If not, you look it up, you'll find it on Google, and you're like, man, kids used to love that. And they were looking for it and trying to find Waldo, or as the British termed it, Wally. And they would be looking for this individual. There were certain key markings that they, could, they would find, but it, it was pretty hard to find them, and you had to be diligent about it. And there were strategies on how to find Wally. The first book of Where's Wally was published on September 21st, 1987. And the Where's Wally books were published in the United Kingdom by uh, Walker Books. And then the United States under, like I said, Where's Waldo, by, first by Little Brown and Company. You know what I find interesting about that? Is that many times people look at Jesus, Christians look at Jesus the same way that they look at Waldo, they're trying to find him, especially in the Old Testament. They're, they're looking all over for him as if Jesus was hiding somewhere in the Old Testament where we've got to search out and, and we've got to be able to look and be able to find Jesus in the Old Testament because he's hiding somewhere. Everybody else, all this activity all around and it's all going on. And we know there are certain characteristics about Jesus, and he looks a certain way. But can I tell you, Jesus isn't hiding like Waldo. He's on the, he's on the page, he's on every page of Scripture. And see, it's not that Christ is hiding in the Old Testament, but it's there's a lack of understanding of the Scriptures on the part of Christians. See, if I didn't know what Waldo was dressed in, I would never be able to find Waldo. If someone told me, here is a game and I want you to be able to find Waldo, and I didn't know what Waldo looked like, I couldn't find Waldo. It'd be impossible. I'd be picking out everything else except for Waldo. And you know the problem with many Christians today is because they don't know the Old Testament Scriptures. They don't know what to look for in the Old Testament Scriptures. As they say, well, the Old Testament, it's just so boring. And man, I don't see Jesus anywhere. And all I see is the wrath of God. And I don't see any mercy. And I'm thinking to myself, man, you're really missing it. It's, be it's not because Jesus isn't all over the Scriptures. Jesus is all over the Scriptures. It's just you don't know what you're looking for. See, Jesus is, now listen, Jesus is the point of Christianity. You, not, you living a good life is not the point of Christianity. You being a moral person is not 
the, 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 the point of Christianity. You raising good kids is not the point of Christianity. You going to church is not the point of Christianity. You giving is not the point of Christianity. Let me tell you something. Jesus is the total and focal point of Christianity. He is the total and sum of all of Christianity. No Jesus, no Christianity. All of these other things are just side benefits. By the way, your salvation is not to just get you into heaven. Salvation is not about heaven. Heaven is a side benefit of salvation. Walking on streets of gold is a side benefit of salvation. Never having to be in this body anymore is a side benefit of salvation. Seeing the, the mansions and being able to, to uh, behold uh, certain of the beauties and hearing the angels praise God, that's all the side benefits of your salvation. Let me tell you the point of your salvation. The point of your salvation is the same point of Christianity, and it is Jesus and Jesus alone. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And too many times we miss Jesus in the Old Testament because we really don't know what to look for. See, we should be looking for Jesus in the entire Bible. Jesus is in all of Scripture. And I want us to take a look in this passage, and we're going to reference a couple Old Testament passages, but I want us to take a look from this passage and see how Jesus is in Scripture. To, I want us to see from this passage how the Scriptures... I, just from this one passage, how Scripture points to Jesus. All Scripture is pointing to Jesus. Now, let me be quick to say, not every Scripture has Jesus in it. Not every verse has Jesus in it. But there is always a road to Calvary. There's always a road to Jesus. Whether you find it in Genesis or you find it in Malachi, it doesn't matter. There's a road to Jesus in all of those books. Whether we go from Matthew to the book of the Revelation, there is a road to Jesus. You've ever heard that all, ro all roads lead to what? Rome, right? Well, guess what? Every single one of these 66 books points to one person and it leads to one person. And that's Jesus Christ. I want you to see here how in this portion of Scripture, Scripture points to Jesus, number one, as a compassionate Savior. As a compassionate Savior. Take a look at Luke chapter 24 and verse 13 through 16. And behold, two of them went, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score four longs. And, and, and they talked together of all the things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. I want you to, if you're in the habit of marking your Bible, I want you to mark your Bible or make a little notation there. The, the key to this section of verses is found in verse 15, it says, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Scripture points to Jesus as a compassionate Savior. We see, first of all, number one, or letter A, when we're upset. 
when we're upset. Jesus is a compassionate Savior when we're upset. The Bible tells us in verses 13 and 14 that there were followers of Christ. There were two followers of Christ here walking on this road, and they were taking about a seven-mile journey. Some say it was a 6.88-mile journey. Some say a seven. Some say a seven-and-a-half. So depending on what calculations you look at, it's somewhere, we'll just cut the, split the difference, somewhere around a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to their hometown, Emmaus. For these folks, these two disciples of Christ, it was over. In their minds, everything was gone. Their hopes, their dreams, everything that they had thought about Jesus had been smashed, dashed, and crushed. There is nothing for them at this point but total hopelessness. These folks were truly upset. At this point in the day, it's Sunday, somewhere around in, later in the afternoon. I can't help but think that they probably waited around a little bit on Sunday morning to see if anything would happen. Well, we know that they, they had gotten some reports that the disciples had, had gone to the uh, tomb and that the ladies had gone to the sepulcher and that they heard these things, but they didn't see anything for themselves. So after they had waited and nothing seemed to happen and it seemed like all hope was gone, they started their way back and probably around 2 o'clock in the afternoon or maybe a little bit later, and they start walking the seven-mile trek back to their home. See, there's no reason to stay in Jerusalem at this point. Passover has ended. Jesus is dead. So let's just go home and try and put our lives back together again because everything that they hoped for was gone. And on their return home, it was a heartbreaking walk. And they began to talk, the Bible says, about these things that had happened. The Bible says, all these things. And I began to think, what things? What things were they talking about? All the things that had happened to Jesus. I can't say exactly what they talked about, but I'm sure that they probably had, uh, they probably mentioned between the two of them about the triumphal entry on Monday morning of Jesus Christ. I can't help but they started thinking about all the thousands of people that thronged Jesus on that, that uh, Monday there and, and, and that, that, they, that they were uh, laying um, palm branches at his feet and sang songs about him and praised him as uh, the Hosanna in the highest and, and praised him as the Messiah and praised him as the Son of David. I can't help but think that they talked about that. And then, then I'm sure that they talked on Tuesday about how Jesus went into the temple and overturned the money changers and, and, uh, and, and really set things in a ruckus. And by the way, some people use that to be able to, this is a side note, we'll get back to the message, but just want to help you here. Say, see, Jesus got angry. He was angry, but he was under total control. Say, so how do you know that? Because it says that he went out and he made like a, a whip or some type of instrument to be able to I guess, get attention. When you go out to make something, you're taking your time to be able to do that. So for those of you who say that you can just get out there and lose control because Jesus did, you're missing the point. Jesus never lost control. He was angry at their sin because they were making God's house a place where they were stealing money from the people when it's supposed to be a place of prayer. 
But I can't help but think that these two disciples, as they were walking along and talking about that Tuesday, about how Jesus came in and, and cleansed the temple, and then how the people were riveted to his teaching all that week, and, and how they had listened to him, and they were proclaiming that, man, this man speaks with authority. He's not like the scribes or Pharisees. I'm sure at some point throughout this that they, their hearts were warmed, and then I can't help but think that they started to talk about his arrest. And how Jesus was taken by cover of night because they were too afraid to do it during the day. They were cowards. I can't help but think that they started talking about the mock trials, the kangaroo court that Jesus had to go through. I can't help but think that they probably talked about the awful beating and the scourging that Jesus went through and then the walk up Calvary's hill and the crushing weight of the cross that was upon him and then how he was crucified and how they talked about this. He didn't even look like a man. He didn't even look like a human after that. He was so marred, the Bible tells us, that he did not even look like a human being. I can't help but think that they talked about that. And as they were walking along, the final blow came and they talked about his death. And now, it's three days later. Where's Jesus? Where is he? I'm sure that they talked to each other about how could this have happened? We had believed, we trusted that one day he was going to deliver Israel. It's all gone now, it's all over. See, these folks were completely at a loss. They're upset, to say the least. And they've got to figure out now, they put everything in, in Jesus. They, they put their whole lives into Jesus, and it seems like Jesus has let them down. And now they've got to figure out, how am I going to put my life back together again? Because you've got to remember Remember what the Pharisees did to the people who claimed that Jesus was the Messiah. See, what we may not understand is that they were put out of the temple. They were put out of the synagogue, I should say. You say, well, okay, so they were put out of the church. What's the big deal? That cost them economically. That cost them socially. That cost them in many, many ways, more than we would understand. And now these folks are trying to figure out, how am I going to put my life back together again? Just doesn't make sense. We trusted him. And what they didn't realize is that Jesus is a compassionate savior. He's not going to leave them in this position. And guess what? When you're upset, when you feel like your world's falling apart, just like theirs. Guess what? Jesus isn't going to leave you. He's a compassionate Savior. See, you have to see the next point. I want you to see here, letter B, when we don't understand. Not only letter A, that he, when we're upset, but letter B, when we don't understand. Take a look at verse 15. And it came to pass while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. 
The Bible uses some really nice language here. It says that they talked and reasoned together. And you would think that it would be talking like this. But, you know, when you study those words out, you'll find that what they were really doing is they were discussing in detail. It was, uh, they were debating and disputing the things which had gone on. You know what they're trying to do? They were trying to figure it out on their own because they didn't understand See, they didn't properly understand what the Scriptures had said about what God was going to do. They were trying to, okay, how does it all fit? We, we believe Jesus, and now we're trying to see this just didn't seem like out of character. Everything that he said up until this point came true, and everything that he did and all the miracles, and he raised Lazarus, and he raised Jairus' daughter, and he healed the blind, and he, he uh, uh, fixed the legs of the, the cripple, and he opened the ears of the deaf and the mouth of those that couldn't speak. And I, I mean, uh, this just does not make sense. He fed 5,000 at one time and then 4,000 at another time. We have saw him calm the season it's everything that he said was true just up until this point now what's happened and they were trying to reason it on their own saying I know this to be true about Jesus but this is the circumstance or this is where I find myself and it just doesn't match up and so as they're traveling, they're disputing amongst each other. They're debating, actually, and they're discussing among each other, what's the problem? What am I missing here? They didn't understand. You know what? But it's no different in our life when God's up to something. What do we do? When God's up to something in our life, you know what the first thing we do? We say, why? Usually that's the first question. What, what, why is this happening? Why did this come about? Why do I deserve this? Why can't I get past this? Or we'll say, well, what's going on? You know what I found about why? You can ask why, 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 why. And what we're trying to do when we ask why is we're trying to make sense of it all. Do you think that um, Abraham, when God told him to sacrifice his son, understood all that God was doing? God had called him out of that kind of lifestyle. It just doesn't make sense. Do you think that maybe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just didn't understand why? Do you think that maybe John the Baptist just didn't understand why? I've preached the kingdom of God and now I'm thrown in jail? Matter of fact, John the Baptist even doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. He said, what? Yeah, he says while he was in jail, he says... The disciples came back to Jesus after the disciples had talked. Some disciples of Jesus had talked with John the Baptist, and John had asked them, say, look, is this the Christ, or should we look for another? You know what you say? This just doesn't lie. I, I just don't, I, I don't understand. <laughs> but you know what I found out about why? That why really is not important. You know, you can ask why for the rest of your life, and you're never going to get to the bottom of it. I may never know why. 
And you may never know why. But even if we don't know why, the Savior is still a compassionate Savior, and he is still near. The Bible says that he drew near to them. Just because we don't know why doesn't mean that Jesus is not compassionate. Just because we don't know what's going on doesn't mean that Jesus isn't compassionate. Let me, let me illustrate it to you this way. When you had little kids, or you do have little kids, or little grandkids, you can't explain all the whys to them. But when you're protecting them, you're protecting them for a reason. Sometimes you don't tell them because you don't want to scare them. But you don't want to tell them that because they'll get scared. Well, you just have to listen to mommy or daddy or uh, grandma or grandpa or whatever your names are, you know. And, and you, gotta, you just have to do that. Well, and little kids are always like that. Well, why? Well, why? Well, why? You know. But what are you doing? You're actually being compassionate a lot of times by not telling them because you want to keep them from fear. I wonder if sometimes God doesn't give us the wise in our life because he wants to keep us from fear. He's just protecting us. He's just being compassionate. And so I would challenge you, just like these disciples, to try and, try and figure it all out. Just trust. See, the scriptures point to Jesus as a compassionate Savior when we're upset and when we don't understand. But when we don't understand, this is exactly what Jesus does. He draws near to us. But how about this? Scripture points to a compassionate Savior. The Jesus' compassionate Savior is when he is unknown. When he is unknown. Take a look at verse 16. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Now, think about this. Remember, we just celebrated Easter, and we just talked about, a little bit about this, about how that Jesus was recognized by his disciples. Jesus was recognized by Martha after she said her name. At first, they didn't recognize, but afterwards, they did. But here it says these disciples, they, their eyes were holding that they did not recognize him. Now, wait a second. These were some of the disciples that Jesus knew and that walked with Jesus. As a matter of fact, some historians say that Cleopas was Joseph's brother. That would have made Joseph meaning Jesus's earthly father, okay? Some historians say that Cleopas was Joseph's brother, so that would have made him his uncle, and Simon later on, some say that Simon, and later on in this portion of Scripture, was Simon was Cleopas' son. So Simon would have been Jesus' cousin. And it says that they didn't notice him. Now, whether that's true or not, we don't know, and the Bible doesn't tell us, but it, it just does make for a little bit of an interesting thought. But nonetheless, these were disciples of Jesus. And it seems, so it might seem a little bit odd to us, but Jesus walks up on their conversation. But it really wasn't odd in that culture because many people, they, as they traveled, they walked and, and, and these roads were traveled by many people. And it wasn't uncommon in that day for a stranger to walk up and come alongside and carry on a conversation with other people that are walking the same road. That was not uncommon. And that's exactly what Jesus did. 
But what was interesting is that they didn't recognize him. It wasn't that they couldn't see him physically. They could see him physically. And they should have known who he was because they were his disciples. But this is the key. It says his eyes were holding. Their, their eyes were holding. Their eyes, you say, well, what does that mean, Pastor? These followers of Christ were divinely, listen, they were divinely prevented from seeing Jesus. They were unable to recognize him as him. He became unknown to them. Okay. I thought Jesus was a compassionate savior. Wouldn't you want to be known by somebody to... It's just, it doesn't make sense. Why, why would that happen? Why would these people be divinely prevented from seeing Jesus for who he was? You want to know why I think it's the case? Because I think that Jesus wanted to point them back to the scriptures. To have them learn to trust the written word of God. See, it's easy to believe in something that you can see. But it's much harder to believe in something or someone when you cannot see it. I want you to turn over to John chapter 20, if you will, please. John chapter 20. See, if you notice, and I don't have time to go into all this, but if you notice, Jesus starts in the Old Testament. He goes all the way through, and it talks about himself. And we'll talk more about that later. But, but he talks about the Scriptures, and he points them back to the Scriptures. And then Jesus is revealed. It's quite interesting. I don't, I, I, don't, I, I don't think that only helps them, but I think that that helps us. Take a look in John chapter 20 and see what it says here about doubting Thomas, verse 29. See, it's easy to believe something when you can see it. Jesus saith unto him in verse 29, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. See, the one thing that we all must do is to see Christ in all of Scripture. We may not have Christ with us physically to comfort us, but we do have his word. Romans 15, 4 says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Now listen, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patient and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Amen. Romans 15, 4, that through patience, searching the scriptures, and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. See, it's the scriptures that will show us the compassionate Savior that we serve, even when he's unknown to us. See, these men thought that Jesus was just a stranger. They thought that Jesus was gone. And the whole time, Jesus was there with them. Isn't that true of us sometimes when we feel completely alone, when we're going through a difficult situation, when it seems like Jesus is unknown to us, as if he has left us to ourselves, and he seems nowhere to be found? 
I don't know about you folks, and I can't speak for you, but there are times when I, when I have prayed, when I've been through a hard time, where it seems like the earth is iron and heaven is brass. There have been times where I've been begging God for something, I've been pleading with God for something, and it seems like the presence of God is nowhere more near than, than anything else. It's just, it just doesn't seem like he's there. Don't look at me as if I'm unspiritual. You know what I'm talking about, all right? Where it's just like, Lord, I, I need you. I, I, and sometimes that'll go on and on and on. And on, and on, and on. You say, what do you do, Pastor? I, say, I keep praying, and I keep praying, and I keep praying, and I keep praying, and I keep reading, and I keep reading, and I keep memorizing, I keep talking truth back to myself. It doesn't matter whether I feel if the presence of God is there or not. The Bible tells me that I have got hope in the Scriptures, and the Bible tells me that He will never leave me nor forsake me. The Bible tells me that He will not leave me as an abandoned child. The Bible tells me that I'm adopted into His family, that I am his son and that I don't have to worry about my dad just running off and being a deadbeat heavenly father. No, he's not a deadbeat heavenly father, but he's a heavenly father that is with me each and every way that I go. I don't have to worry about those things. So, Pastor, I just don't feel it. Well, welcome to the club. Sometimes I don't either. Even when he's unknown to us. You say, is that normal? I want you to turn over to Psalm chapter 13. See, we've, sometimes we believe that God's forgotten all about us. Hey, Lord, what about me? You know what? I, and I'm going to be honest with you. Listen, now look, folks, that, that's a real scenario. Now look, I, I want to try and pastor you here. I want to try and help you. This will, I'm telling you, this will help you. When, when, you, when you don't sense God's presence, when you, when you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you know what Scripture says, but you just don't sense God's presence. When you're walking through the fiery furnace, when you are going through your trial or your difficulty, and for other people, it may not be anything. They may think, well, this is no big deal. But to you, let me tell you something. It doesn't matter whether it's a flickering flame or a full-fledged furnace that you're going through. It's real to you, okay? So don't you worry about what anybody else has got to say. And don't you listen to what anybody else says. Well, that's not a very big trial. Don't you worry about that. Matter of fact, Christians shouldn't be like that. We ought to be encouraging one another. If it's big to them, it ought to be big to us. But when you're going through that, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. When you, when you don't sense God at all, I'm going to tell you, you just need to drop to your knees and say, God, I'm going to trust your word. And just one thing, God, I've got one request from you. Just help me not to lose my faith. Help me not to lose my faith. God, hang on to me. You say, why do you pray that way? Because it is easy to lose our faith if we're not careful. We'll just say, well, God doesn't seem to be there. He must have forsaken me, so I might as well forsake him. That's exactly what the disciples did. It said all fled and forsook him. When he was getting ready to be forsaken for them, they fled and forsook him. Why? Because of fear, because of misunderstanding. They didn't understand they're taking Jesus away from me, and now he's unknown to me. He doesn't even look human to me anymore. And these guys on this road, these people on this road, they're thinking the same thing. He's unknown. But is this common, or is this just 21st century Christianity? 
Well, I want you to look at Psalm chapter 13. I am so glad that God, listen, I'm so glad that God put in the Bible just not all the positive things. I'm glad that Moses messed up when he lost his meekness. I'm glad that David messed up. Man, I'm so glad. I'm glad that God can take a blasphemer like Saul and turn him into Paul. I am so glad for these misfit stories. I'm glad for the dysfunctional families that I see in there. I'm glad for all the, all the mess-ups that people have in there. You say, why are you glad about that? Because it gives me hope. Because that's the real world that I live in. You say, so is this just us, 21st century people, or is this really real that people feel this way? Let me tell you, people have felt this way all down throughout the ages. Here you go, Psalm 13, verse 1. We'll just see what the Bible has to say. How long will thou forget me, O Lord? How long? You're going to remember me? Hey, God, hey, 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 don't forget about me. George here over in Williamstown. You're going to forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You know what I would say to you when you go through that? Remember that Jesus is a compassionate Savior. Even if we got to cry out how long, you just say, God, help me to hold. Whatever you do, you may take my health from me. You may take everything from me, but don't take my faith from me. Let me hold on tight to you as you're holding on tight to me. Because in the valley of the shadow of death, it's hard to see him. Sometimes he's unknown to you. But let me tell you, even though he may be unknown to us and we can't sense his presence, we just need to go back to the scriptures just like Jesus pointed these folks. Now the God of hope, Romans 15, 13 says. Now the God of hope. We may go back to the scriptures. See, these men had thought that they lost it all, that Jesus was no longer a compassionate Savior. And sometimes that's how we feel when we believe that God's forgotten about us. Folks, one thing that you've got You've got the word of God that points us to Jesus. All of scripture points to Jesus. And in this portion of scripture, he points to Jesus as a compassionate savior. You know, the one thing that I think that we really need to focus in more on, and I was so glad that we sung it here in church, is grace, is God's grace. And if we remember that God is a gracious God and that he is a compassionate God, even when we go through those times, we'll hold on. Jesus is a 
better Savior than anything else that you could ever put your trust in. Why? Because he's compassionate. I ask you this morning, how do you see Jesus? When you're upset, when you don't understand, and when he's unknown, do you still see him as a compassionate Savior?